having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. Thank you for joining Six O'Clock Swill with Tim Blair on the New South Wales Central Coast and Nick Cater here in Sydney. And we start tonight with breaking news of a unilateral declaration of a no-fly zone by Tim and I with immediate effect to prevent the incursion of woke forces into the sovereign territory of this podcast. Joining us today from Western Australia and sitting metaphorically in the third panellist chair is Jay Marwick, radio host, journalist and TV commentator whose uh, professionalism forged from long experience in the audio entertainment business is about to put Tim and I to shame. In this episode, we'll be taking our lives in our hands by trying to define the noun woman, and we'll be talking to former Australian Christian lobby chief Lyle Shelton to help us with that task and to help us understand some of the political dynamics more generally. We'll be fact-checking the claim that the most trusted politician in Australia is mean girl Penny Wong, And we'll be sharing advice from mixed martial arts expert Thug Nasty about wearing your fighting boots on a plane. But first to a poll, uh, a genuine one as it happens, which found this week that only 45% of Australians would be prepared to stay to protect their country if faced with the same situation as Ukrainians. 76% of women under 35 say they'd flee, along with 60% of green voters. What are we to make of this? Jane, how about you? What What would you do? in the event of a Russian invasion? That's a really interesting question, Nick. Um, I I would probably do as many of the Ukrainian women have done and grab children and flee to the border, To be re- if I'm brutally honest with you. Um, I, I look at the images of some of these young women in their camouflage fatigues who are fighting, uh, and I think they're absolutely incredible, but I don't know if I would want to stand and fight. I think I'd be really, really afraid. Yeah, I hope you don't. I hope you don't, Jane, because I think you'd be a fearsome <laughs> fighter. I mean, I'm I a crack shot. Yeah. I'm a good shot. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's useful. That's a skill. <laughs> no, I am a good shot. I think the Russians would be quaking in their boots. <laughs> but um, to, to be honest, I, I don't know how useful these polls are because we're not facing what people in Ukraine are facing. And I think we would feel very differently when faced with it. Um, It would depend what you had, uh, how well resourced you were, how safe you felt. But I would certainly be more likely as a woman in my 50s to grab children and get them to safety and do my best on the other side. And as so many of those Ukrainians did, the men folk drove them to the border uh, and turned around so bravely saying farewell to their women and children and, and going back to fight. I think they're incredible, but I, I do think I'd leave. I think I'd be really afraid. Yes, and I trust Michael will do his duty by driving you at least halfway across the Nullarbor. Yes, oh, that's important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with Making sure I've got a G2G pass so I can get back in again. Go figure. Uh, I think old people, myself included, should uh, should be in the front lines of any kind of invasion. Because for a start, you know, we're just, you know, as PJ O'Rourke said many years ago, once you pass a certain age, you're just waiting for whatever cancer is going to take you out. So, you know, bullet cancer, whatever. Uh, also, 
being old, we'd be absolutely useless captives. We'd be of no enemy value at all. If they, if they pressed us about, if they captured us and tried to extract detailed information, none of us would remember a damn thing. And, um, you know, although as well, not being a crack shot myself, along with a lot of older people as we get frailer and our eyesight uh, erodes, I think with enough beta blockers on board, we'd be able to at least take out one or two invaders before uh, we copped it ourselves. I think, um, I think I'd stick around just to see what happened. And if I did grab children, if I went the Marwick way, I'd only be grabbing them for the purposes of human shields, of course. <laughs> Kim, I'd be worried about you grabbing children full stop, actually. <laughs> well, there is the restraining order. Don't bring, you know, like you always bring these matters up. You know, they're before the courts, Dick, please. Well, we do have an international comparison, actually. Uh, the American polling company Quinnipack asked Americans, what would you do in the event, event of a Russian invasion? Uh, 55% said they'd stay and fight. That's a clear 10% higher than Australians. And 57% of independent voters said they'd stay and fight. Only 52% of Democrat voters, but wait for it, 68% of Republicans say that, said they'd stay and fight. <gasps> Does that make me a Democrat? It, it might make you a Green. <laughs> so I guess the moral is uh, if you, were, if you <laughs> yeah. were transported back in time and found yourself standing of the trenches and standing in the trenches on the Somme or in Gallipoli. <laughs> Just make sure you're not standing next Too to right. a lefty. Too Again, right. human human shields, Nick, human shields. Um, it is it is fascinating. I'd like to um I'd like to get a state by state breakdown as well as uh, even a county by county breakdown. Tom Wolf uh, this is about um, uh, people prepared to fight in the US. Tom Wolf wrote uh, decades ago a lovely um, piece about all the Americans in the Vietnam War who'd won the, the highest military honour, whatever that is, it, uh, it escapes me at the moment, but a great many of them came from areas like the Appalachians. You know, they were hill folk, and uh, they'd won these extraordinary bravery um, citations. But one of them was a real outlier uh, and lived in New York City. And, and Wolf, from memory, went to great effort to track this person down because, you know, you've got all these hard-bitten southern sort of, you know, Scots-German ancestry people who you'd kind of anticipate would be relatively handy in conflict. And then someone from New York. And they, they found the guy from New York. he just moved there from the Appalachians. Well, here's a chance to hear from a genuine American patriot, Thug Nasty, the mixed martial arts specialist or cage fighting, in other words, otherwise known as Bryce Mitchell. This is what he said when he was asked, would you stay and fight? Here's my first thought is I'm not going nowhere to fight none of these wars for these politicians. I'm staying at home and when the war comes to Arkansas, I will dig my boots in the ground and I will die for everything I love and I will not retreat. If this country's invaded and everybody's saying, well, we got to we got to evacuate, we got to leave, we got I will not. I will dig my boots in the Arkansas soil and I will fight for the people that I love, for the land that I love and the way of life that I love. He'd probably do the same if he came from New York, to be honest. He's, um, he's, uh, yeah. he's uh, spoiling for a bit of conflict. He's a good fellow. No, it's so true. And look, down on our farm, we've got a farm in the southwest and I reckon every single man there... Uh, and I was talking to Tim last night on the phone just about some of these guys, and they would absolutely stay and fight and defend not just their property, but their state and their families. When when I give you the answer to say that I would probably leave, that's just a really honest answer. I would love to say, you know, be, be all robust and say I'd stay and fight, but I have watched 
the coverage coming out of Ukraine uh, and reading the Telegraph UK, whose coverage has been exemplary. And I think it's absolutely terrifying. And I do understand women and children wanting to leave. But, yeah, plenty of blokes in the bush here I know would stay and fight and defend. Oh, absolutely. And my uh, farming, uh, the farming wing of my family, if they were asked if they were going to stay and fight, would probably ask if there was another option that they could tick. Can yeah. we advance and fight? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, they'd be, I mean, these people are not um, not unfamiliar with firearms, let's That's say. It. And it'll totally legally, but uh, yeah, they are, and they're, uh, they're patriots. But Jane, the point is that these are the voices, Jane, we don't hear on mainstream media. We don't hear the equivalent of Thug Nasty here in Australia. And I'm sure in America, they don't feature on mainstream media. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just to hark back again, Jane, to uh, Peter Weir's Gallipoli, do you remember the hero in that was a runner? Mark Lee played that role, yeah. He was a West mm. Australian mm. runner. You remember that line, how fast can you run? Fast as a leopard. How fast are you mm. going to run? Fast as a leopard. And, uh, of course, that quite uh, tragic and ironic final scene where he has to try out his running skills uh, into the face of the Turkish army. Yeah, wow. and that was filmed in Western Australia and that was the 10th Light Horse and my great-uncle Clary was in the 10th Light Horse. Um, we're very, very proud of the 10th Light Horsemen in Western Australia. Not only were they terrific riders, they were our finest. They were terrific blokes from the bush and they were brave. And you're right to mention that film. Now, it's been interesting, Nick and Tim, when we look at the COVID pandemic, and a lot of people have said, where's our larrikin spirit? Whenever I think of larrikins, I think of Peter Weir's Gallipoli and remember Snow and remember all of them, Mel Gibson, they're all mucking around when they're in Cairo and in and out of brothels and taking the mickey out of the, out of the British. Uh, and people say that we've lost that larrikin and or fighting spirit. I don't know if we have. I just feel that we haven't been tested, although people look at what's happened with the pandemic and the way we slavishly follow the most ridiculous rules and regulations. And here in Western Australia, guys, you still have to fill out a G2G pass. My husband just flew back in from Sydney last night to be readmitted to your own state and you must be fully vaccinated, otherwise you can't come back in. Nuts. I'd fight against that. Um, yeah. Just, uh, just uh, talking about... Um how we've lost the larrikin spirit and we probably mm. don't support our fighting men as much as we used to. Well, in a way we do. In a way we do. Do you remember David Hicks, Jane? I do. The the Adelaide boy who um, signed up with uh, Al-Qaeda-affiliated people and uh, Laksa El toyber I think, was another, another mob. He met Osama bin Laden. And this bloke... Serious mainstream journalists, you know, in papers like the Sun Herald in Sydney, uh, were saying that David Hicks should be the Australian of the Year. There was a moment when he wrote an autobiography. I'm doing the um, the finger squeals there because I don't think he wrote a word of it. But um, when he appeared at the Sydney Writers Festival, having published this autobiography, he received a standing ovation from 900 people. Yeah, that'll be right. The Adelaide Writers' Festival. Yeah, no, no, Sydney. It was Sydney Writers' Festival, yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. Any Writers' Festival, that's right. If you put any serving Australian soldier in front of the same crowd, 
they would shun that soldier. In Byron Bay, I suspect he would have been lifted onto the shoulders of adoring crowds and carried to the mayor's office to be given the symbolic keys that give him the freedom of the city. Yeah, except he's a fat bastard. They'd have to really work hard to hoist him up there. They'd need, like, some sort of grapple crane. Mm. Yeah, Jamie, we should point out when we, when we talk about Peter Weir's Gallipoli being filmed in Western Australia, that was before Mark McGowan, of course. Now, I, I, the, none of the cast... And certainly none of the horses would no. be allowed across the border, I suspect. Unless they're triple vaccinated. <laughs> and, and masked. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but the point is, where's the courage? Where's the courage? Yeah. I mean, in, in, in the First World War, in the Second World War, people went overseas to risk their lives for the defence of freedom. Now we have to surrender our freedom for mm. in order to save every life, even you know people who've reached the end of their natural lives mm, it's a really strange place to live in at the moment so my husband came back through the airport last night another friend's husband came back through on wednesday you know they've got police checking you at the airport and sniffer dogs so police written on them and sniffer dogs running over your bags so my husband's been to sydney melbourne airports my mate's husband has been to adelaide airport and then you arrive back in perth and they say how unfriendly it feels it feels sort of hostile and this police state but can i tell you i was having a coffee with a friend this morning and he said the premier said to people when they were saying why do i have to abide by restrictions or get vaccinated i'm a farmer in the wheat belt i'm miles from anyone and he said and i'm paraphrasing because i've only got this second hand but he said the virus will hunt you down and kill you <laughs> can i tell you how afraid people were here the premier on one news conference said of the delta variant this is a brand new beast Nick and Tim, he anthropomorphised this virus so much that even I had an image of a great big bear waiting for me outside my front door. Now, he had carte blanche on, in the media here. Um, you know, there's one section of the media that's very, very powerful and they run mm -hmm. the most watched news and they have the daily paper and it was just Mr 91%. Everyone was on board. Those of us who sort of spoke up were... <laughs> shunned and ostracised uh, but it, everyone became very afraid I've still got a friend who won't go out to the shops unless she really really has to because she's afraid she's in her 50s she's fully vaccinated afraid of getting COVID and getting really really sick there are still a lot of fearful people here Jane what's going on I thought we got over the, mm. the time when we had to rely on camels to carry letters across the Nullarbor to get news to you in the in the in the West, I mean, we've got the internet now, right? The internet. I mean, well, how come the news has yet to reach WA that COVID is over, finished, gone? We we declared it. We declared it over, didn't we, Tim? Three weeks ago, it was officially declared over. That's correct, Nick, by us. So we're recording this on Friday, the what's the date? The twenty fifth of March. We have about bit over a few over eight eight thousand cases today. I mean, there'd be tons more. It's the number of people that are getting tested. Uh, so we're this is our first taste of it, really, of really having a bit of COVID in the community. I think Nick. For someone like me, um, I read and consume my news from a, a very broad range of sources. I reckon when you hear the same thing day in and day out, this has been a fantastic social experiment. When you are constantly told that you are in danger, no matter what your rational brain tells you, 
that catches on and the people around you are fearful. They only watch one news source. It has been that, that's, incredible being here. Jane, you, Jane, you touched on something so which is afraid. absolutely fascinating. And, and Nick, of, Nick, of course, as well mentioned earlier, we have the internet. And before all of this happened, you might have imagined we could never again experience uh, a kind of, um, uh, across the entire Western world, panic of nuclear attacks, panic of, uh, of, of, of whatever, you know, red scares and all manner of things. Uh, because, of course, when those things happened, those scares were about, we had a very limited media and uh, therefore, uh, being limited, far more powerful. We had much more narrower messaging. Now, subsequent to that, we've got the internet, a million voices, a million different angles. And, what it, and, and Nick is right. We've got a whole state in, in a kind of a 1950s-style chill and absolute frozen with horror. Um, and it's, it's not simply because, as you point out, you know, you've got a very isolated media, they're in a very narrow media, because there is the internet in Perth. You've had it for weeks now, I understand. And... Um, what the hell is going on with people? Like, there's got to be some sort of self. There's got to be some sort of self will involved where people have convinced themselves. Yeah, yeah, that does. Look, my daughter has just left and travelled overseas, and people are beginning to travel. There are no direct flights overseas um, out of Perth at the moment, but we're still very, very isolated. And we have had two years of of this fearful message. I mean, we'd get one case or a couple of cases. Remember we had one case and that person met two or three other people and we shut down the whole of the southern part of the state for Anzac Day. It was just, I can't, it's, it's just how it has been here. Jane, I wish we could say that the overhang of rubbish COVID policy is only a thing in Western Australia, but of course it's not, right? It's all over the country. I mean, I I learned this week to my great surprise and shock that unvaccinated people people who exercise their right not to take the vaccine are not allowed to leave the country they're forbidden i mean what is this russia or soviet union north korea belarus i mean Mm. quite apart from the you know the the the, the civic the the, quite apart from the serious Mm. issues of civic rights there I mean, where's the sense in this? Mm-hmm. I mean, where's where's yeah. the medical logic? I mean, if we think these people are people who don't get vaccinated are risk to the rest of us, then why are we stopping them leaving? I mean, surely we'd be subsidising tickets to get them out of here. Well, we, we look. That was the, the case with Novak Djokovic. He's unvaccinated. Leave the country. It wasn't. Yeah. He's unvaccinated. He must stay. Was it? Very, very different. But also, um, isn't it interesting? It's interesting, Nick and Jane, that the only times the government does something quick is when it's bad. When you get a one-hour turnaround on a refusal to fly, that's very impressive yeah. for the government. If it was an approval, it'd be um, come back uh, within uh, two to three working weeks. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Con- and- different rules apply. Consistency and logic has not exactly been the hallmark of COVID nineteen regulations around Australia and around the world. It's a bit like petrol prices, isn't it? You know, they're very quick to go up, very slow to come down when the price of oil drops. It sort of takes weeks to filter through. Um, it's It's been... Nick, when you talk about not being able to leave the nation if you haven't had two vaccinations, I sit here and I think we have had so many freedoms taken away from us in Western Australia and I remember watching Wuhan. Remember they were flying drones over Wuhan at the outbreak 
of the coronavirus and they were saying old lady old lady you must go home and i was thinking oh wow this is so dystopian and then we all started having these mad lockdowns yeah that's right they had it easy they had it easy in wuhan compared to west australia i mean <laughs> you, think, you think life yeah, life was well. hard in tanjin we'll try living in Cottesloe. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me Because Russian, Russian misinformation is everywhere these days, and I, I think I've found some. It, it's, uh, it's in a story on news.com, that's the, uh, the problem child of Rupert Murdoch's empire, uh, which asked people, who are the most trusted politicians in Australia? Uh, okay, wait for it. These are the top, top ten, or top, the top six. Number one, Penny Wong. Mean girl, Penny Wong. It's not, not some other Penny Wong. Al, uh, Anthony Albanese in second place. Number three, Tanya Plibersek. Number four, Mark McGowan. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, Jackie Lambie. Uh, and this is where they lose me completely. Number six, Adam Bant. I mean, April Fool's Day is another week away. I mean, what, what, what is going on here? I mean, have, have I misjudged this? Well... These are the most trusted politicians, right? So I think you've got to look uh, yeah, carefully Tim, at the word. Go. Well, yeah, I trust Penny Wong. I don't trust her to be very good or very nice or very trustworthy, but I trust her to be all a lot of bad things. Um, Anthony Albanese, I mean, where was this poll taken? That's what's curious to me. It was an SMS poll, wasn't it? I think they asked The Guardian Australia's newsroom. Once we get the number, it'll probably correspond very closely to that, to whatever figure the Guardian's uh, hiring at the moment, because uh, this is fantastic. Yeah, well, technically, I can see two two flaws in this poll. Mm. First, it's an SMS poll, and that's notoriously unreliable. Uh, but secondly, they they took two figures. They asked people, who do you trust and who do you not trust? And then they took one figure away from another now mm. uh, and got came up with a, a figure now if you took some of the most popular and effective politicians in recent history ronald reagan and margaret thatcher i'm sure at points in their leadership you would have found 50 percent of americans or britons thought their respective leaders were doing absolutely brilliantly could do no wrong and another 50 percent thought they were terrible they were the worst thing that ever happened to their country take the two away and you come up with naught so that's what's happening. Yeah. But I, I, I seriously suspect Russian skullduggery. I mean, what, which journalist or which editor could seriously sit down, look at those top six and think, that's right, they are the most popular, trustworthy politicians in Australia? Well, let's, let's, have, a, let's have a look at the flip side then, Nick. Give us, the, um, give us the top ten least trusted people according to this, uh, least trusted politicians according to this poll. That's a very good question, Tim. Wait a minute, I've got the um, I've got the email here. Just hang on a sec. While you're calling that up, Nick, is this a case of shooting the messenger? Because it's interesting to me that this poll has only been published by one news outlet with scant detail. The questions we're asking: How many? Also, how were these people selected via SMS? It's very odd. Anyway, back to you. I mean, they say this poll came from Roy Morgan, which is a reasonably respected polling company. It's been going, I think, for some 80 years out of Melbourne. But look, this has got Moscow's fingerprints all over it, if you ask me. <laughs> yes. OK, OK, right. The top six, the most trusted politicians 
in Australia, according to this KGB poll, which the news.com has helpfully translated from the original Russian. Yeah. Number one, number one most popular, most least popular, most distrusted popular politician in Australia, Scott Morrison. Number two, Peter Dutton. Personally, I'd rather have mm. Peter Dutton in the Ministry of Defence, uh, in the oh. Defence Ministry position than just about anybody yeah, else at the yeah. moment. Number, number three, Barnaby Joyce. No surprises there. Four, Pauline Hanson. Number five, Craig Kelly. Number six, Dominic Perrottet. Mm. Mm. All seem to be a bit conservative, don't they? These Number seven, Angus Taylor. What, what's Gus done, for goodness sake, to get in with this mob? Michaelia Cash in number eight. Josh Frydenberg in mm. number nine. And number ten, Matthew Guy to... to uh, to which everybody outside of Victoria will say who. See, now, now this, this is what weirds me out. If this was a... There, there's so many state personalities in both these lists, yet this is a, purportedly a national poll. Like, like, these people have no national... Matthew Guy, no one outside of Melbourne knows who Matthew Guy is. A lot of people inside Melbourne don't know who he is. How could he be in... But also the Mark McGowan thing, Tim. That So... Did they go via states and ask you which politician you trust and distrust the most in your state, maybe? We need the questions. We need more information, don't we? All it says is is an SMS poll conducted this month. That's all the details. So for all we know, somebody in the newsroom texted 20 of their closest friends. Or less. It's such a crap poll. (laughs) Well, Lyle Shelton will be joining us in a minute. But first first to America, where uh, Judge Catania Brown-Jackson, she would have expected some pretty tough questions when she appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, at uh, the confirmation hearing uh, for her nomination as a Supreme Court judge. Um, But strangely enough, she tripped up on one of the easy ones. Have a listen. Do you agree with Justice Ginsburg that there are physical differences between men and women that are enduring? Um, Senator... Respectfully, I am not familiar with that particular quote or case, okay. so it's hard for me to okay, comment but, as to whether. All or right, not. I'd love to get your your opinion on on that, and you can submit that. Do you interpret Justice Ginsburg's meaning of men and women as male and female? Again, because I don't know the case, I don't know how I interpret it. I need to read the whole okay. thing. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N- not in okay. this context. So I'm you not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments, and I look at the right. law, and I decide. Well, well, it makes you think, doesn't it? Tim, Tim, look, look, looking back to your excitable <laughs> youth in the town of Horsham in the Victoria Mallee, uh, driving that, uh, that surefire chick magnet, the Holder Monaro uh, around town, um, and uh, looking for your next date. Looking back, do you think in hindsight, you may well have slipped up. Since you're not a biologist, <laughs> you may well have slipped up and, uh, you know, actually dated a bloke. I, 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 uh, looking back, it was uh, it was just a 
you know, a wall of confusion. Uh, but like, what this? If you're a judge and you and you can't provide this sort of thing, there's a whole legal sphere of of, of issues that are going to arise from this. If you're giving evidence before a court, you might have seen a hit and run accident, uh, you, you, and you might describe uh, the victim as. Did you, you, know, you might be asked, um, was the victim uh, a woman? And your only reply now can be, not a biologist, you know, sorry. It's, it's literally all you can say, according to someone who's nominated for yeah. and will probably be appointed to the Supreme Court. Now, the main issues you deal with in the Supreme Court are related to a, a, beautiful, a beautiful yet complicated document called the US Constitution. If you can't answer the question about what is a woman... How are you going to deal with far more complicated and multi-layered issues arising from constitutional uh, disputes? I don't see how anyone incapable of a, a simple answer can come up with a complicated one in another field. Come on, Jane, give us some clarity. When I saw the grab of this, it was, can you give us a definition of a woman? And she said, no, I'm sorry, I can't. And I thought... Without the context behind it, with just that tiny news grab, I thought, oh, you're meant to have some sciencey response. And I, I was saying this to Tim earlier, I'm not sure which chromosomes. And so initially, I thought her response was that she wasn't a scientist. But given the background to this, and when you listen to the whole question, and, and the background about women's rights and transgender rights, um, it was a pretty simple question. And she could have given a very straightforward answer. She could have just said someone who was born a biological female and is an adult biological female would be a good answer. Um, yeah. But what I find intriguing about all of this questioning of Judge uh, Jackson Brown, Nick and Tim, is cast your minds back to Amy Coney Barrett and to Brett Kavanagh. And, you know, the Democrats yes. are all sort of frothing, saying, oh, you know, she's under too much pressure, this isn't fair. Tell you what, it, the, the differences in the line of questioning and the pressure has been stark. I actually think, I can't remember the MP, uh, who's been questioning her on her light sentencing of people uh, who have committed... Mm pornographic uh, crimes involving child pornography i think that is the real problem with judge jackson brown absolutely the, i think you're getting confused with the singer jackson brown i think it's brown jackson or uh yeah. brown jackson but, I beg but i'm also in favor of jailing i'm also very much in favor of jailing jackson brown um <laughs> judge brown jackson yes. yeah i've written down jackson brown so that's where i'm getting yeah. wrong but you know the, the fact that she was light yeah. On child porn offences. Sorry, you did got, you hear her? That is the big did issue you, with her did right you there. Hear her excuse for why she was light on child porn. It's yeah, I did. But just remind us, it's, Tim. It's fascinating. Um, she said that the the sentencing guidelines and the rules generally surrounding child pornography were formulated during a time when you had to go to some effort to obtain child pornography. That you had to obtain it through the mail, through very shady sort of channels. But um, it was all de delivered and it was all via pre-internet ways. And her argument was that now that it's so much easier to access child pornography via the dark web or any other internet means, well, it makes it a lesser crime somehow. The act is the same. You're still accessing something that, that involves a shocking crime against a child. 
it actually it actually makes it worse. You'd argue that it is easier. I mean, it's like if you can push a button and eliminate a, a million people with a nuclear bomb, is that less of a crime than stabbing someone in the... You know, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but wasn't the maximum penalty, was it 10 years that she could um, hand down and the prosecution were asking for two and she went for six months? Yeah, yeah. Something along those lines. These are the issues. These are the issues that the Republicans need to be pushing really hard. Let's just pause again and remember Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh and if the roles were reversed. Well, also, anyway. let's get her to define child. She might struggle with that as well. I did like the her attempt um, uh, in that in the questioning that we played where she said that she struggled to come up with a definition for a woman in that context. The only context, the only context was what is a woman. That's it. Full stop. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, it's small steps, isn't it? I mean, uh, may, maybe identifying what a woman is 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 the hard thing. Maybe it would just be a good thing if she could identify it, a guilty pervert who should be locked <laughs> away. Anyway, uh, we'll be back in a minute. We'll be back in a minute with Lyle Shelton. <laughs> Now I'm delighted to welcome as a first-time guest to the podcast, Lyle Shelton, former head of the Australian Christian Lobby, a man who's never afraid to stand up to common sense. Uh, many of you might recall his role as Daniel in the lion's den, otherwise uh, known as the head of the Australian Christian Lobby, appearing <laughs> on the ABC's Q&A. <laughs> Lyle, I hope you're, you're ready for an even more hostile audience today. Uh, it can get pretty fierce here on the swill, I tell you. Yeah, happy to be here. I think you'd be happy to be anywhere except for Q and A. I'm still traumatised by that. <laughs> it might be a lot safer for forum for our conservatives now that absolutely nobody is watching it. Yeah. So uh, maybe maybe we can all turn up again. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched it for about five years, so I don't know who's watching it. Apparently, no one, but by their ratings. So. <laughs> no, look, what I don't get here. I mean, an essential essential skill for a politician in a democracy like ours is the skill for garnering enough votes to get yourself re-elected. I mean, it, without for that, you know, the, the political evolutionary machine kicks in and, you're, and you're, you, you, you drift into oblivion. So why, if that's the case, why would you be chasing you know, a boutique issue like transgender rights? The Christian vote is not a majority, we would think, but uh, how big is it? I mean, you'd think it was at least substantially bigger than the LGBTQI plus, plus, minus, hash, minus vote, wouldn't you? Yeah, look, um, I suppose a good measure of that, Nick, might be last weekend South Australian election where Family First, a unashamedly Christian-based uh, party, uh, but, but appealing to a, a broader constituency, but the, the base of it is Christian. They polled at about 3.8% uh, across the board um, in South Australia. Now, that's um, that's a reborn uh Family first after it sort of briefly folded, um, given Cory Bernardi's uh, foray in the 2019 federal election. But uh, they dusted it off and got it going for last weekend's state election. So I guess you could say around about that. But there'd be more than that, right? Presumably Christians also vote for Labor and uh, and, and Liberals and Nationals and, and perhaps even the Greens. No, I think they certainly did. Um, look, I don't know. The short answer is, Nick, I can't give you a definitive answer of what the Christian vote in Australia is, um, if there is that, because I mean, there's Christians who lean left and lean right. 
Uh, and certainly there were Christians, um, uh, I've no doubt, who were attracted to Peter uh, Malinaskis because of his social conservative, you know, Catholic right leanings. And uh, mm. he he certainly has, um, uh, whilst he isn't a purist on the, you know, on a, on a touchstone issue for many Christians, that's the, the issue of human rights for unborn babies, uh, he voted for a pro-life amendment uh, when that abortion to birth legislation came up in the South Australian Parliament recently, which the Liberal Party uh, were shepherding through the Parliament. So uh, there's no doubt that um, I'm sure he attracted a significant uh, number of uh, Christian voters um, and certainly Family First did and certainly, you know, whatever Conservative uh, Liberal Party MPs there were out there. Lyle, Tim Blair here, mate. It was fascinating uh, growing up to discover the difference, one major difference between politics in Australia and politics in the US is that the religious element in the US was always much more front and centre. Uh, always much more open in a way. It was, and um, a lot of my friends on the left, and I was of the left back in the day, but uh, this was always put forward as a bad thing, that the US is so uh, uh, religious-centric in its politics and in a lot of its public life. But as I've got older, I've, I've actually found it more liberating, that that openness about faith and uh, and and. Uh, and biblical scholarship and uh, and church attendance and all of that is, uh, is is much more of a thing. We've never got that in Australia. We've never had that element of it. Um, do you think Australia will ever evolve that way or are we now past that era when it could have been more, more of a central element to our, pu- our public and political lives? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. Look, Americans are very different to us culturally. Uh, they, uh, mm. you know, wear their hearts on their sleeve a bit more. They wear their religion on their sleeve a bit more. They've had... Um, a, a uh, more public religious culture. Australians, um, I guess, coming from that British heritage, we're a little bit more reserved, a little bit more private about our religion. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. But there has been this core yep. sort of Christian underpinning that goes right to the heart of our founding as a nation. And uh, it, it's always been there. Um, now, there's no doubt organised um, mainstream religion is on the decline in Australia. There's no doubt about that. There's some there, yep. there are some newer, the, you know, the Pentecostal churches perhaps um, breathing some new life, although, you know, Hillsong's gone through a bit of a rocky road at the moment. So Just a little. Life's not simple for anyone at the moment. And um, certainly, you know, Christian people in Australia are feeling the pressure of a culture that has, in, in my short lifetime, turned hostile. I mean, when I was a kid, yep. I've been a Christian all my life, uh, played footy, you know, gone to university. People knew I was a Christian. You were... Um, accepted just as, as as a normal person, they might have thought some of your beliefs were yeah. a little bit quaint. But that you know, you, you were seen as a fellow Australian, and um, you know, you weren't you weren't seen as a pariah. But now, um, particularly on the left of our culture, we've almost attained this pariah status, and um, feeling the pressure of it. lots of mainstream Christians are feeling the pressure of that. The anti-discrimination laws that have been weaponized since the same-sex marriage debate. They feel like they can't speak freely about what they believe about marriage and family and gender. Yeah. So to go to your question, Tim, I think we will see um, a more vocal uh, Christian expression in politics uh, because um, people are feeling the need, you know, we, we've got to survive somehow. And um, that means we've got to get active in politics and and participate uh, using the tools of democracy that are available to any citizen. We, we haven't traditionally been that great at participating because the culture has been with us but in my lifetime, it's turned against us and we've got to you know, get part of the, the discourse. Otherwise, we, we're going to get run over and we are getting run over. But you're not, you're not alone, Lyle, are you? I mean, when it comes to the social conservatism, there's plenty of what I might call 
fellow travellers. I mean, you don't have to be a gospel-believing Christian to be troubled by the idea of late-term abortions, do you? Or any abortion. I mean, you, you don't have to be an, a tub-thumping, Bible-bashing evangelical to think there's something very wrong about sowing confusion in the minds of school children as young as five about basic questions like the difference between a, a boy and a girl. Absolutely, Nick. And, and um, that's the thing. I mean, this is where the left, I suppose, are so insidious. They, they create the narrative and they've, we've allowed ourselves perhaps by, by, by our silence and our non-participation to allow ourselves to be painted in a certain way. But I think most of mainstream Australia is with us. They, they do want to raise families. You know, look, life and love is complicated for a lot of Australians, but I think most people deep down in their heart know that mum and dad is a good idea and that it shouldn't be you know, frowned upon to promote the idea of marriage and family in public policy. Uh, it doesn't mean we're not tolerant to you know, other expressions, but um, people also know what a boy and a girl is. One person doesn't, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll let that go slide through. Well, this is the frightening thing, but you know, we're all bit, everyone's watching Leah Thomas, aka William Thomas, um, in the U.S. Um, Ivy League women's <laughs> swimming. Comp. You know, now you know. Yeah, let's just let's just put the facts on the table. Two years of hormone replacement therapy has paid off for a trans biological dude named Leah Thomas as he powered home to win the National Collegiate Athletic Association's 500-yard women's freestyle. It's a trans atrocity so outrageous that even Caitlyn Jenner cries foul. She tweeted that Thomas, uh, formerly known as William Thomas, is not the rightful winner. It's not transphobic or anti-trans, she says. It's common sense. Uh, Florida uh, Thomas beat Florida-born Emma Wyatt, an Olympic silver medalist in Tokyo, no less, into second place with a gap of a full 1.75 seconds. Amid the furore, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis stepped up to demonstrate once again why he should be the next American president. Now the NCAA uh, is basically taking efforts to destroy women's athletics. They're trying to undermine the integrity of the competition and they're crowning somebody else uh, the woman's champion, and we think that's wrong. And so in Florida, I'm going to be uh, later today because this is a Floridian who I think deserves to be recognized. You know, we're going to be doing a proclamation uh, saying uh, that Emma is the best female swimmer in the 500-meter freestyle because she earned that. Now, adding to the, the, the critics, critics, critics have pointed out that Leah Thomas carries a full twig and cherry. But clearly, look, she has... Uh, much, much more physical capacity genetically than than a female-born competitor. So, look, who on earth in the world would think this was fair? Well, this is really interesting because as the only woman on what this panel, I feel so sorry for the girls who are... How dare you presume my gender woman? <laughs> competing, ...who are competing against... Um, against this transgender woman. I feel really, really sorry for them. They're in a terribly difficult position, not just against the physical prowess of someone who is much yes. bigger, much stronger, much faster than they are. But if they speak up, yep. they are labelled as transphobic. So what is the answer here? What do we do so that those girls who are biological women can compete 
on a level playing field do, what do we what's the right answer where does is it Leah where does Leah compete because it's not fair on the rest of the girls well Leah being bi- biologically male and still uh, masculine still unlike all of my cars she fair. still has all original equipment but yeah. um so it's not fair on the other girls so where does she go well, she can go back to competing against blokes. That's what I'm wondering. Where she was, where 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 William was massively uncompetitive. But this is the other thing: people keep saying Leah just wants to swim. Well, there's nothing stopping Leah mm. from swimming as Leah previously did as William. It's just Leah didn't win a damn thing when she was William, and now Leah is cleaning up against girls. So it seems to me that it's not that Leah wants to compete. We all love competing. Leah wants to win. And it's a lot easier to do that when you just say, I'm a girl. Now, Lyle, I'm I'm mainly familiar with the King James Version of the Bible. So, and uh, I've gone backwards and forwards through it. There's no mention of trans issues. Maybe some of the other orthodox versions or something might uh, might touch on the subject. But But there are obviously such people as transgender Christians. It's not really a religious issue in a way, is it? It's not an article of faith, Lyle, that um, would put someone who's transgender outside the church. Am I reading this properly? Well, my, my, my biblical scholarship, um, well, first of all, is very much from a place of compassion for all people. Um, now, that doesn't mean we agree with everyone's ideology and there should be room for discussion mm-hmm. and debate. But in terms of what the, the Bible and theology says, um, it's clear there's a male-female binary that's uh, baked into creation it's also baked into biology. You don't have to be a Christian to believe that. The Bible just corresponds with biology. Uh, but that, having said that, there are people, for whatever reason, who feel deeply uncomfortable in the, in the body that they were born in with its um, characteristics, either male or female. I mean, your chromosomes, um, you, you, when Leah Thomas is buried and they dig mm-hmm. him up in 100 years' time, they'll be able to tell from his bone structure that he was a male, a biological male. Now, that's that's just a fact of biology. None of us get to choose that. Now, if he's, yeah. Yeah. she is genuinely struggling with um, his identity, that, that obviously requires absolute compassion from all of us. And, um, you know, I've in, in my old church in Toowoomba, we had a guy who came along as Ken and changed to Jen while he, she was at our church and was received with great love and affection and began wearing women's clothes and makeup to church. And everyone... Respect, you know, and Jen was the best diesel mechanic in Toowoomba. I can tell you. Yeah, you look. I don't want to resort to stereotypes, but they often are. I, I've often suspected, Lyle. I've often suspected that the most welcoming places in the Western world for trans people are smaller communities. I think I might have even mentioned on this podcast. Um, a friend of mine lives in a tiny, tiny, tiny country town in Victoria at the base of Halls Gap. And the local tree lopper, you mentioned your diesel mechanic in Toowoomba, the local tree lopper will uh, front up in a dress and no one really minds. No one cares at all. They're just so used to it. And it's it's all cool. Priscilla's Queen of the Desert. I mean, the, the gag in that movie yeah. was that it was set in Broken Hill. They took these cross-dressing uh, <coughs> artists to Broken Hill, you know, on the assumption that the locals would be hostile and, and persecute them quite the opposite. I mean, the locals of Broken Hill yep. loved them so much, they now have an annual Priscilla Festival. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask you about, about you're talking about compassion, and 
listening to this conversation, I'm really interested in what you've said about being a Christian and in your lifetime becoming a pariah. I can remember joining a, a radio talkback show, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, and I said that I went to Mass on Sundays and both of the blokes on the panel turned to me and stared at me like I was some weirdo. And that was my first inclination that what I thought was perfectly <laughs> normal was no longer perfectly normal. I don't, I'm not a God botherer, as we say. I don't, you know, I don't share my views with other people, but that was something I'd been raised Catholic, been to a Catholic school. What interests me about the left now is a lot of them are ex-Catholics. Have you noticed that they've they've come from a Christian background and for one reason or another, and I went to a Catholic boarding school and I've got a fair few axes to grind with some of those nuns. So I understand the animus that some of them feel towards their faith, mm. but they, they're sort of trying to annihilate it rather than, than, than have robust discussions and some criticisms. It's sort of like they're trying to they've experienced something that they're trying to shed. So we all have to leave our faith behind. It's weird. Yeah, it's hard to understand that. Um, that yeah. This this confusion arises all the time, doesn't it, Lyle? The confusion between the church, which, uh, which is full of people who are by nature sinners, some of them quite bad people, some of them very good people, and and the faith itself. How do you separate the two? Look, some people have genuinely had bad experiences in churches, no doubt. You know, churches are not perfect places. They're full of imperfect people like me. Uh, so there's a reaction against that, particularly um, when you have a high expectation of a, you know, Christian community that, that has high ideals and you're let down by that, that can cause a reaction. Sometimes it can just be because um, perhaps they've um, left the faith and, and feel some sort of animus. I, I can't you know, fully explain it, but but you're right. Some priest, some of the um, you know, the the biggest yeah. um, opponents of Christianity. Paul Bongiorno is a classic example. I mean, he he shared a, a house with Jared Risdale, the pedophile, and yet um, went after Pell as if you know Pell should have uh, had some knowledge that he didn't have of Jared Risdale at the time. That's just but one high profile example. So it becomes deranged um, in some people. That's, that's, sort of, that's sort of what I'm trying to get to. The other thing I noticed is that conservative people are by nature, and we could go back to Judge Jackson, um, are conservative by nature. So you're talking about Christians or people of faith sort of not, be, not owning that public space because mm. you're naturally respectful of others' views, beliefs. Um, you're, you're, I, I, it's what we used to call old-fashioned civility and good manners. So Christians haven't been, or, or people of faith, haven't been out in the front fighting because it doesn't sit well. It doesn't sit easily. You sort of think, you know, I'll do my thing, you do your thing. It's it's become very, very a very, very sort of fractious public space, hasn't it? It has, and we are, as Christians are being run over. I mean, a classic example is the City Point Christian College. Um, they were again attacked in the media this week because of their policy for their staff. Now, they, they want their staff to, you know, adhere to the, the Christian view of marriage um, and human sexuality. Now, that doesn't suit uh, the gay lobby because, you know, they think that everyone in society should celebrate 
their view of, of human flourishing. Well, you know, Christians and Muslims have a different view. And in a tolerant society, we should be allowed to have that. But no, the media are on the attack uh, at City Point again this week as having an anti-gay staff policy. Um, you know, and it's just this pejorative stuff. And because Christians yeah. are mild-mannered, you know, no one has come out and defended them this week. <laughs> but it needs some public advocacy to say, hey, let the Christians be Christians if they yeah. want to. So yeah. what, they don't have to sign on to the rainbow flag if they don't want to. I've got a, a friend in Sydney, Lyle and uh, Lyle and Jane, who um, uh, he mixes in media circles, uh, high-level business circles, and he's be- and he's a very much a believer. But he's been so beaten down over the years that he sort of apologises in advance for when he mentions going yeah. to church or he mentions a Bible verse or something. Yeah. He'll apologise in advance because it's just That's easier it. that way than apologising afterwards when people start doing their eye rolling or sort of looking sideways at each other about what a, what a terrible primitive lunatic he is. But, uh, yeah. Exactly, like you're some kind of nutter. Yeah. And he's just a man yeah. who has... A terrifically intelligent man, very gifted person. But the other thing, anyone who's been raised, particularly Catholic as I was yeah. raised, um, what what were the, um, I think it was the Jesuits, um, oh, you'll all know the maxim, you know, giving the child to the age of seven and I will show you the yeah. man. Mm-hmm. There's something about that faith, it just gets yeah. into your marrow. And some people, some of my Catholic friends will say, I actually have got so many problems with the Catholic Church, so many things, but I just have faith yep. i have a deeper well, faith. well the institution and the lord are different entities aren't they yeah that's right but why should people feel that they have to apologize for it you know i've um look i'm from the pentecostal world as is scott morrison and uh i've spent many uh a year going to hillsong conferences i used to drive buses of young people to them they were terrific weeks used to take my kids I'm so devastated to see Brian Houston resigning in the circumstances that he's resigning in this week. Um, he's had a big influence on my life, as has the music that their church has produced. Uh, it's gone all over the world. Many Australians don't realise just how far and wide Hillsong's influence has gone globally. I go to America and you hear it played in churches there. I've been in, in Central America in Guatemala and heard Hillsong songs being played and sung with gusto. And so to see... Brian, um, you know, resign like this, you, you realise, okay, um, we're all humans, uh, even people who lead great works of God, um, institutions, people will let us down. But as Christians, you know, we always try and point people to, to Jesus of Nazareth, who was the only perfect human, um, and none of us uh, are, are in his league. So I guess that's the thing to remember. It's fascinating, Lyle, you just mentioned um, uh, the US again there, but... Uh... I spent a lot of time over the years in what they call majority black towns and cities in the U.S. South, and um, you know the classic stereotyped image people have of the Deep South is, you know, rednecks and uh, racism and so on. What they what they possibly don't have a full handle on, and it's to their great loss, is there'll be some there'll be tiny towns really, not, not more than a few thousand people that will have maybe more than one gospel radio station that will have more than one religious radio station, will have multiple you know, Baptist and Pentecostal uh, churches. There'll be, there are still tent revival churches in the South. It is a fantastic element, especially of black culture in the US, that I think a lot of people, A, aren't aware of, or if they are, discount it because it doesn't fit, uh, doesn't fit their preconceived ideas of uh, evil white guys stomping on, uh, stomping on their former slaves. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Tim. I mean, it's often been said that the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. 
And whilst um, so many uh, African-Americans embrace Christianity, that, that, I guess that was the positive of them coming to America. They embraced the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though they were being oppressed. And, and so in spite of the enslaved by white Christians, um, they saw the truth of the gospel and the Negro spirituals, the identification with um, uh, the Israelites in Egypt in slavery. So injustice done to them, they still found Christ. And um, I think, you know, America's come a long way in terms of its race relations, and you would know it better than me, but uh, it has been a bit of a stain on the church that there has been the black church and the white church. And uh, it's great to see it, you know, becoming more integrated these days, but it's it's been a process and a journey. Well, just a tip for any listeners who um, enjoy slide guitar, beautifully, a beautiful... Um beautiful sound if played well slide guitar evolved out of gospel churches because it's trying to mimic the sound of uh of the choir so you know thank thank you very much gospel folk you've uh, you've done us proud <laughs> and, and now you say lila that hillsong is is doing for gospel music what barry gordy did to soul I mean, Balkham Hills has become the new Detroit. Is that right? It, it, it has, Nick. Yeah. They invented rap. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Can I ask the three of you what you thought about the the reporting of Brian Houston retiring or leaving Hillsong, and the Prime Minister's response? Uh, so this would be in what context? To uh, to quote our our future I, I Supreme Court judge. I just want to know. Well, well, well. If, if the reason I ask is I was having a coffee with a friend this morning and the Prime Minister said he was shocked, um, I think, and he, he learned of the news when everybody else did. And I thought... Which would be right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And no, no argument about that. But we were saying if, if there are only allegations and nothing's been proven, say it's your friend. Say this person is your really good friend. There was a time in our society when you could say, and he said yeah, his first thought, the Prime Minister said his first thought was for the victims. But it's also, and we saw it with George Pell, and we saw people like Tony Abbott and Andrew Bolt stand up for George Pell. There's also a thing that we used to do where you would say, look, this person has been a very dear friend to me. I'm shocked and sad at the circumstances. I'm desperately sorry for the victims, but also... Yeah. I'm sad because this person has been a very good friend to me, but we can't say that anymore. Yeah, I mean, Tony Abbott, former Prime Minister, copped a lot of criticism, I think very unfair criticism, for simply visiting his friend George Pell in, in prison. Yeah, the, the modern yeah. style... But do you think we've lost something? The modern style... Have we absolutely. Lost the modern style, Jane, is to yeah. totally unperson something, someone once yes. they've transgressed, or even if they are alleged to have transgressed. Of transgressed, but but it, but the whole thing and our prison system is based on reform. We have to believe that if someone has done something wrong, that character can, can be reformed. It's not just a Christian well, principle. But hang on, it's I, I, a very human I, I, principle. should obviously wait here because I think it actually is a principle. In I think there was a whole very influential book about um, about uh, forgiveness, yeah, and redemption. Yeah, yes, that's right. Redemption, sacrifice and redemption, the definitive work on sacrifice and redemption. Remind us what that book was called. <laughs> look, this is what people forget. And, and look, maybe Christians have been part of creating a, a negative stereotype over the centuries um, that we're all about legalism and judgmentalism. But the, the heart of the gospel is about restoration. The, you know, the... Um, uh, the uh, parable of the, um, you know, the, the, the son who wants his inheritance and goes off and squanders his father's wealth on 
on prostitutes and loose living and, and he's welcome back, you know, the prodigal son. Um, I've just spent the last uh, week traveling around uh, Coffs Harbour and southern and northern Sydney with um, a fellow called Pat Mercedes who was at Hillsong 20 years ago and he had a very public um, fall from grace having uh, had a, a moral failure which he talks about quite openly but he went through a restoration process and he's back preaching again and I, I think that's appropriate I, I think you know you obviously there's consequences to doing the wrong thing he worked through a process um, I don't judge him for that um, none of us you know, as Jesus himself said, he is without sin, let him cast the first stone. But the modern left are the first to pick up stones. And look at Mike Carlton's Twitter feed this week when Scott Morrison said, well, Scott Morrison said, I haven't been to Hillsong for 15 years. Now, he was right. Um, Scott Morrison goes to Horizon Church down at Cronulla, which is not a Hillsong church. It's it's loosely part of the same Pentecostal movement, but it's legally separate to different entity. But um, Scott had been to the 2019 Hillsong conference. So here's Carlton tweeting, what a hypocrite Scott Morrison is because he said he hasn't been to Hillsong for 15 years and there he was in 2019. Well, he hasn't been to their church for, as an attendee for 15. That's what he meant. And um, and, and Carlton, get, well, he went to a conference, not a, not, not a church service. And uh, But these guys, they just want to pick up the stones and say hypocrite. But why can't we say, what have we lost? And Nick, I want to hear from, I'd love your view. What have we lost as a society where we can't say you know whether or not it's alleged that your friends done something wrong or they have done something wrong what have we lost as a society that we yeah. can't say this person is has been a very good friend to me i don't condone what they've done and and the list of 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 um you know i feel for the victims but why can't we stand by our friends no matter what it's the settlement of australia as a penal colony you know this was not the fatal shore as robert hughes called it in the title of his book this was a place where people could work hard, make a better lives themselves and prove themselves good people and be given land. Redemption. You go to mainstream Australia, they're not confused about any of this. Uh, they know deep down in their heart that kids need a mum and a dad and should have every opportunity to have one wherever possible. Uh, they understand, you know, these virtues. They do understand redemption and looking after your mates and all this sort of stuff. But we've got a, a woke left that is just hostile to anyone who doesn't stick to their orthodoxy, uh, whether it's on, you know, rainbow politics, uh, uh, you know, reproductive rights, uh, climate change, uh, whatever whatever the, the orthodoxy is of the day, if you step out of it, there is no redemption for you. That's not mainstream Australia. We've got a lot of tolerance for one another. We mightn't always agree, but there is tolerance uh, for one another. And, um, and there is redemption uh, when we do the wrong thing by one another. There is, there is grace and forgiveness. I don't think mainstream Australia has forgotten that outside the beltway. And God help us if we can get it back. But our left have become a new pharisaical class, which were the people that, that Jesus spent most of his time railing against. Well, we've got them back again. And, um, you know, as the good book says, there's nothing new under the sun. and There's nothing new in 2022. Lyle, it's been great to have you on the podcast today, and let's hope let's hope we can entice you back to bring more much-needed common sense into the debate. Thanks very much, Lyle. <laughs> That's very kind. Thank you. Yeah, Lyle Shelton there, and and, and now um, to a man who's becoming a bit of a regular on this podcast, Thug Nasty, the mixed martial arts or oh, mixed martial artist and a chicken farmer from Arkansas. Uh, Tim, you introduce this section. We're all beginning to fly again, and um, that brings with it, of course, uh, a number of protocols, mostly new ones that are related to COVID and, and various other 
fears, and of course, older older protocols related to terrorism and so on. Thug Nasty has a very different take on things. He's um, he um, he advocates a different form of preparation for flying. This was an interview maybe a year, maybe eighteen months ago, with a brilliant American comic and podcaster called Theo Vaughn. Uh, Theo has a gift for drawing out his guests. How was that flight, man? Nah, I don't like flying. Really? <laughs> I wore my boots for the flight. Yeah? The whole time you take them off while you're on the plane? No, hell no. I leave them boots on. You know why I wear my boots on a plane? Nuh-uh. Right when I get on, I'm looking for terrorists. Really? Always assume there's about four of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and if there's four of them, you know how they operate, right? There's going to be two sleepers. So I'm really, I'm looking for the four ones that are going to pop up. Yeah. Those are the mother i'm dropping first you know what i'm saying and the most that can attack you even if there's four of them on a plane only two can attack you one in the front one in the back i got a pair of boots i'm going boom right to the nuts right you know what i'm saying boom right to the nuts boom boom turn around taking out another one i'm gonna start stomping on their heads and shit and uh then i'm looking for the sleepers oh yeah so and so the sleepers is but how many more do you think that they would have at least two sleepers yeah. if, if they know what they're doing if not there's some rookies i'm gonna f- them up anyways yeah you know? if not this is bush league terrorism <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a buddy of mine reported a uh reported a guy in his on his flight who seemed like sketchy just look real fidgety yeah yeah I, I keep my eyes it. on them, yeah. yeah. Those could be your sleepers right there. Yeah. You know, they might not stand up first, but you know they're back there just geeking. They're just yeah, ready. They're ready. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's so beautiful. That that's by- <laughs> yeah. Sound advice. Look, I was on a on a Rex airline flight to uh, Melbourne the other day, and uh, you know, lots and lots <laughs> yes. of advice or instructions from the flight attendants before takeoff, including how to properly tie a mask around your mouth and nose. But, but no, the important stuff all got left out, apparently. Yeah, and, 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 and watch out for anyone geeking. Keep, so there, there's a message. Keep your fighting boots on, and, and whatever you do, don't fall asleep on a plane, or Thug Nasty might identify you as a sleeper. <laughs> yes. And, and you know that'd be one of your one of your sleepers right there. Yeah, but what about what about look real fidgety? Like I look real fidgety because I'm a nervous flyer. Well, I mean you've already got the boots, Janie. I know that. So uh... and the other thing, the other thing, a girlfriend and I were having a chat the other day, and we always laugh about you know they say if you if you need to evacuate the aircraft, remove your stilettos. You um. But uh, you get your steel cappers out there, and um, they might set off a few alarms going through as you enter the airport. But like, I, I recall flying in the um, weeks and months after September 11, and I, I think I was on the first flight to the US out of Australia after the flights were reintroduced after September 11. And, and I, I felt a bit self-conscious about it, but I was scanning the crowd, scanning the people waiting to board the aircraft. And you're looking, in my case, obviously I'm, I've, I have none of Thug Nasty's uh, punching power, but you just look around and you think, well, you're looking for potential allies if anything should happen. You know, you think, that guy looks like he can handle himself. You know, that, that, that woman over there uh, might uh, be able to deliver a, a decent hook. And you just go through and you think, 
you know, there's people who you might call upon. As you get older, the, the list gets longer of people who might be your allies because uh, you think, oh, you know, maybe a few over 50s could, uh, could equip themselves reasonably well in some kind of conflict or at least provide a, a, a sort of a, a blocking strategy. I mean, I, I could be a useful, you know, brick, you know, in, in any kind of conflict. They could throw me at someone. But um, I, I do admire his, his uh, very common sense approach and, uh, and his admirable phrasing. Geekin, I think, should introduce should be part of uh, our general lexicon. Like, did you observe any unusual behaviour from the uh, defendant? Yeah, he was geekin at the back of the plane. Oh, really? Geek geekin was he? Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. Of course, just time for some readers' correspondence. Meg Nielsen writes, "Dear Nick, you, Tim, and Rebecca have long been favourites of mine. Very, very wise of you, Meg, not to pick out one favourite. I, I could see, I could not see how to give you five stars, so I thought I would email them." Instead, regards Meg. Well, Meg, um, go back and try, please. We need those stars. Five stars. Get us to the top of that algorithm-hungry platform, which we call Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever else you use. Rob Dines. Rob Dines from Geraldton, WA. That's that's near you, isn't it, Jane? Uh, Rob Dines, uh, very complimentary. A quick note to say thank you for your podcast. I've been enjoying it for some time now. But then a warning. May I suggest, however, that you insert a warning before playing clips of Joe Biden as I nearly fell asleep at the wheel. Ooh, yeah, OK. Uh, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. Please give us those five stars. And uh, I've found the I found the password to the email account so I could get back and answer them. So please get in touch. Nick at RadioBCC.com. And uh, subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Jane. Back again next week. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. How good is Australia? Yeah!